0: Would you stand with me as we read just this one verse from First Thessalonians chapter 2, reading just verse 13 today. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you, believers. Let's pray together. Father, I am grateful for a church that believes the word of God, that will sit under the preaching of the word of God, that will gather in small groups to discuss and learn together from your holy word. We believe, God, that what we read this morning is your word to us, that it teaches us about you, and that it is authoritative for our lives and our congregation. So would we be changed by it? Would you continue to transform our minds and our lives by the power of your word to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, that is this, our subject, the Word of God. And what we want to see today is the Word of God is working in our lives. It is not an inanimate object that sits on a bookshelf, a coffee table, in the back seat of your car that you just grab every time you roll into church. But it is a living and active Word written to God's people to tell us about God, to tell us how we can know God and be right with him and then how we should live in obedience to him. It is amazing that over the course of hundreds of years, God inspired men from various areas and walks of life, everything from priests and kings to shepherd boys, to write his word, compiled for us, his people, that we may hear today so much longer since in such a different day and generation, but still yet hear and know his word. The previous three Sundays, we've focused heavily on the mission of God's church At the end of chapter 1, where Paul was in his thanksgiving for the Thessalonican church, he was thankful that they joined in the mission of God that Paul had shared with them, that they became imitators of his mission to make disciples as he went. Then as we got into the second chapter in his defense of his ministry, what Paul does is he begins to defend the the proclamation of the gospel the proclamation of God's word and how he went about doing it and we saw last week that we are all to work hard together in the mission of God for his church to make disciples today transitions somewhat but not very much because what we'll see today is really the message of that mission the means by which we make disciples because we don't have a machine here at the church that you can bring a friend to, bring your children to, bring your neighbors to and we could drop them in that machine and turn a handle and out on the other side pops a disciple. Could I just tell you if if that machine existed, we would buy one because that would probably be a whole lot easier (laughs) but it doesn't exist and it won't exist. God has determined the means by which we make disciples, and here it is, simply put, is the word of God, which is why following his defense of his ministry, Paul returns to this brief moment of thanksgiving, and the fact that this verse returns to thanksgiving should make our our antennas go up a little bit, because in Roman letter writing, which Paul is doing here, there is always a thanksgiving that follows the greeting. But rarely do you see a second thanksgiving and if you do it's intended to highlight something. So look at what he says verse 3 at the beginning and we also thank God constantly for this. So the fact that Paul is returning to a thanksgiving here should make us say all right, I'm going to sit up straight and I'm going to listen to this because what he is what he is repeating what he's returning to is obviously going to be important. When we think about the word of God working, we want to think about it in three ways as we walk through this verse. First is hearing the word of God because that's where Paul begins. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. I join in Paul as I did in my prayer before the sermon today in being thankful for a church that wants and desires to hear the Word of God. If you're new with us, let me fill you in on some information about this local congregation. This is a local congregation that doesn't stand for somebody just coming up and giving some platitudes and some nice stories and a word of encouragement to try to fill you up for the week and then you just go on about your life. No, this is a church that requires, demands, expects, Somebody's gonna stand in this place week after week and not give you opinion, but the very word of God. Amen. And that's what we see here in the church at Thessalonica that they wanted to hear the word of God. And Paul and the mission team who's writing with them were thankful. He said, we are constantly thankful for this idea that you received the word that you heard from us. So when we think about our mission congregation, our mission must be centered around the message that is the word of God, that we are going to expect one another will desire to hear it because part of our mission sits on the pew with you. Part of our mission sits right in front or right back of you. Part of your mission is those people that are in that small group with you. See, our mission isn't just outside of the church, although part of it is. But our mission begins right here, that we make disciples of one another. And as we make disciples of one another, we do that first and foremost by speaking God's word to each other. Now we do it outside as well, as we share the good news of God's word in our community and to the nations. The core tenet of what we do as we make disciples is we go and have people hear God's word. Because here's what we know, no disciple can be made apart from God's word. Listen to the way Paul writes it in Romans chapter 10. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you see this progression that Paul goes through in in Romans chapter 10? How are they going to believe, right? If they've not heard. How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't tell them? How are they going to how is somebody going to tell them if there's not some type of missional organization, some type of organized mission of the church to ensure that each other and people in the community and people in the, around the world are hearing the word of God? that all of it comes back to this very central idea that people can't be a follower of Jesus outside of the truth of Scripture because it is by the truth of Scripture alone that someone can be saved. And it's not just in our initial gospel belief. Remember, this is a series we've entitled Past, Present, and Future." And some of these sermons are gonna focus on who we, how we came to new life in Christ, what we believed in the past, how we currently live in new life in Christ in the present and what our present mission is, but also focused on the future, what the future holds for those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. So it's not just about proclaiming the gospel unto salvation for people as in a, as in a past tense phrase, but also proclaiming the gospel unto salvation for people in a present tense, that we constantly speak speak the word of God to one another so that we may become more and more like Jesus. See, once we've heard the word of God, it becomes our mission to proclaim it. And not just for me as the primary preacher of our church or our other pastor elders who teach or our small group leaders who, who are gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach within our church. It is every one of our responsibility to proclaim the word of God. Let me draw your attention for a moment to something that's printed on your handout. If you got the sermon handout today, we have six core beliefs in our congregation. We've set these aside, these six core beliefs, each of which drive a core value at our church. And we've agreed as a congregation that these are the things that we are going to hold most dear, these six core beliefs which drive value. And value most often is where we find action. There's a lot of action words in our core values. There's not a lot of action words. There's actually only one action word in our six core beliefs, and it's in our first one. It's right there in their notes, but let me read it to you. It says, we believe the Bible is God's word. Because the Bible is God's word, it is completely true, wholly authoritative, and must be proclaimed. Now, it's interesting that that's the one action word, must be proclaimed, that's in our core belief it's in these core documents for us. You see, it is certainly a belief that the Bible is God's word, and that's a belief that's shared by many other churches and has been shared by the historic church throughout the centuries. Because it is God's word, it is completely true. This is known as inerrancy, that God can't lie. So because it is God's word, it is wholly true, and also wholly authoritative. So because it is God's word, and this is God's world, that anything that God says trumps anything outside of God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not truth outside of God's word. Math books contain truth. I believe science books contain truth. The medical field contains truth. But when we look at God's word, if God's word says one thing and the wisdom of the world says something else, here's what we're going to go with every time. We're going to go with God's word because this is his world. And he is the one who determines what is true. So it is completely true. It is wholly authoritative, meaning we're going to yield to that over everything else. But then it must be proclaimed. You see, it's not just a value of our church that we proclaim the word of God, it is a belief that if we're going to actually hold that this here is God's word, that God has spoken to his creation, and it is in this word that we find truth about him and access to him and truth that changes our lives, then it is a central belief that every person that believes this is true must proclaim it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, "You, you don't light a candle and hide it under a basket, do you? That candle is the word of God. And far too often, we aren't all sharing in the mission of proclaiming God's word, and we use excuses like this, well, somebody else is a lot better at it than me. Preacher, you're a whole lot more eloquent in your communication. Well, listen, I could use that excuse. There are far more eloquent preachers than me in our world. There are far more eloquent preachers than me here in Hampton Roads. So I could say, well, maybe y'all ought to just all go to one of their churches Because they would be better at it than me, right? If I used that excuse, I wouldn't be up here. You don't get to use it either because it's a belief of our church, not only that the Bible is true and authoritative, but it demands proclamation. We together, as we make disciples, speak the word of God to one another. That doesn't mean you're going to preach it from a pulpit. It doesn't mean you're going to teach it in a small group. It may simply mean that you're going to speak words of wisdom from God's word to the person sitting next to you. Parents, you're going to speak it to your children. Friends, you're going to speak it to one another. We're going to disciple one another based on the word of God alone because it is the hearing of God's word that changes our lives. Number two, accepting the word of God. Look at the center part of that verse. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. So the second thing Paul is thankful for, number one, is that they heard it. They were willing to sit under it. And then so we join in with Paul in saying, we want to be people that hear it. We want to be people that proclaim it. We want to make sure that people around us are also hearing it. But then the second thing is we want to be people that accept it. That we don't just hear it, but we accept it. Now here's the difference, right? Hearing happens up here, doesn't it? Hearing it comes in one ear and it goes into your brain and you kind of process it a little bit. And there are a lot of people, maybe some sitting in this room today with the number of people that are gathering here, it's likely that there are some that this would be true of the day that you've heard a lot of the word of God and it's gone in your ear and you've even hit it in your brain a little bit, you've tucked it away, and you maybe have, have developed this great, vast knowledge of God's word, but there's never been an actual accepting of it because, see, when Paul starts to move down this path, here's what he saying. He didn't just say that you learned it, but you accepted it, that it became a defining quality in your life, that it changed your heart, that you didn't just You didn't just understand it, but you believed it. You accepted it. Notice the qualifier here. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And this is an important distinction. Because if you'll remember in my introduction of of this uh, book, I told you there were lots of people, and we've referenced this a couple of times, it was very popular in that day for philosophers to travel from city to city. These were the rock stars of the day, and they would set up camp, and they would make lots of money, and they would develop lots of disciples, and then they would kind of move on, and there were some possibly accusing Paul and his mission team that that's what they were doing. And so notice the distinction that Paul makes. He says, this, this isn't the word that we gave to you. It wasn't the word of men like these philosophers, but it was the word of God. Because it is the word of God that can change lives. If we go back to Romans 10, where we saw that progression, right? That Paul kind of goes through, right? How will they hear? We get to the next two verses in 16 and 17. And he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel." For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul makes the same distinction in Romans 10 that he's making in 1 Thessalonians 2. He just makes it uh, in more detail in Romans 10, so it helps us to understand this, that not everybody that hears it is automatically changed by it. Not everybody that hears it believes it. Not everybody that hears it, to use the word of 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, accepts it. It doesn't sink down into everybody's heart. So what's the distinction? Because he says they have not all obeyed the gospel. Then he quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. And then he gives us the distinction. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the word of Christ, this Holy Scriptures is proclaimed, but then there's this peace that, we, that isn't fully tangible for us, and it's faith. That God has this work that he does, because we're told in Ephesians that faith is a gift of God, right? So that no man can boast. So we don't get to sit around and brag and say, oh, I didn't just hear the word, I didn't just just learn the word, but I've, I've applied the word, I've believed the word, I've accepted the word. If you've done that, you've done so because God has been gracious towards you in opening your eyes to things of the faith. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, but there's this dots that we have to connect. And here's the dot that we have to connect because sometimes we want to go too far in that. And we'll just say, well, God's going to save who he's going to want to save. And so if that's the case, what do I, what do I have to do with the mission? Listen, God's not going to save a single person that doesn't hear the word of Christ. This is what Romans 10 not say. That, that we play an, an integral part in this, being used by God to proclaim his word to people, not knowing who's going to accept it. I have no idea. I look out at many of these same faces week after week. And I can tell if you're engaged in what I'm saying. I've been doing this job long enough to know that there's just some basic um, skills you develop as a public speaker. and You can tell if people are into it. And you can tell if people aren't. You can tell who's passing a note about where we're going to lunch when this is all over. Okay, kind of like a teacher at the front of the classroom. You're really not pulling anything over on me, okay? But you know what I can't tell? I can't tell who's moving that information from here to here. I can't, I have no, I have no way of knowing. And I can't force that. You wanna know why? Because that's a work that God does. And so I week after week proclaim the gospel, you week after week proclaim the good news of of the holy scriptures to people in your life. We do that locally and around the world and here's what we trust. We trust that God is going to move people from hearing to faith in Christ. Recognizing that there will be some that think we're crazy. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter one. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross. Now, the the Bible's called lots of things, right? The word of God, the word of Christ. Here, it's the word of the cross. Where do we learn? How do we know that's what he's talking about? Well, because where do we learn about the cross? We learn about the cross in scripture. And there are going to be those who think this is folly. They're going to think it's foolishness. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with the fact that we may tell people we believe the Bible and they think we're nuts for it. We have to be okay with the fact that you may share the good news of Jesus with your neighbor or with a family member. And they just may outright reject it when you ask people, um, when surveyors you know, talk to Christians about why they don't share the gospel, which, by the way, only about 2% of, of Christians in America re- regularly share the gospel with people. That's an abysmal number, right? Um, but so when they ask the other 98% why they don't, the two primary answers people give is either, I'm afraid I won't know the right answer, all right, which is valid. It means we need to study more. And, and number two, I'm afraid that they're going to reject it. Well, can I tell you something? If you can't get over that second one, you'll never share the gospel with anyone because here's what the Bible promises. The Bible promises that there are going to be some who think it's folly, some who think it's foolishness, some who look at you and think you are just as backwards as anybody could be. Why don't you bring yourself in the 21st century, stop believing that old book and start living right now. And we have to be okay with that. But here's the great news. There are going to be some because it is the power of God. So we can't worry about those who may not accept it. We can't worry about those who may reject the message of the gospel. If I'm 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 not bringing faith in people, they hear the word and believe. Now notice the other decision makes a middle clause. He says, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Often those who think the word of God is foolishness, is folly, as the Bible says there in First Corinthians, they, they'll, they'll make a, a blanket accusation against the Bible. That blanket accusation goes something like this. It's just a collection of myths. It's just a story of fairy tales. It was created by religious people to either restrain the young or comfort the old. We don't need that anymore can throw off the shackles of their restraints of Scripture. We don't need that anymore. We've progressed as a society. We've progressed as humanity to the point where, where we don't have to believe these things anymore. This is just a creation. And there are many in this world who will believe that. And it will be too late for them when they stand before the true author of Scripture one day and note that it was not made up. And note that this is exactly what Paul claims here in this verse. The Word of God Peter, in his second letter to the churches, expands on this idea for us. Listen to what he says. There's several verses here, so hang on with me. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majesty of glory, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now let me just make something abundantly clear for us. There are going to be people in the world who reject scripture as folly, as myth, as fairy tale, as religious constraint. But there is no room in God's church for that view of the Bible. Because if we're going to be the people of God, then we must take the word of God for what it says. And Peter, in abundantly clear fashion says, we did not devise myth for you, but we were there. We saw it with our eyes, we heard it with our ears, and it is not our interpretation of what has happened, but it is the very spirit of God that has carried us along, speaking to us that is now recorded in Scripture for the church. So let me just stop for a minute. because I recognize there may be somebody here that says, "I've always dismissed the Bible." I've always dismissed these, this as is, is, is something that, that is not applicable to me, that is, that is not really transformative in my life. Maybe it has some good ideas, some good principles. Maybe Jesus was a good guy that taught some good things. But I've never believed that what the Bible says is true. Hear me. There is but one way to be saved. There is but one way to be right with God that you, whether you want to admit it or not, have lived a life that is offensive to God, that you have disobeyed what he has said is right, that he has set a mark for you. And that by disobeying that your relationship with God, my relationship with God, every human being that has ever walked this planet outside of Jesus, those relationships are broken because of our sin. But Jesus died in your place, paying the price for your sin so that you might be saved. This is the message of the word of God. This is the culminating event of history that Jesus died in your place and then was raised to life so that you too might live. You say, what do I need to do? We'll do exactly what Paul describes in this verse today. Accept that today. You say, wait, I thought you said this is something God does. It is. But from our perspective, it's simple. If you've heard this and believe that today, then hide it in your heart, trusting that Jesus will redeem you. And that the promises of scripture are true for you. That you will be saved by the faith that God has given to you in what his word has proclaimed now to your heart. Then, get to the third thing. Notice the progression here. So we've heard it, accepted it, now we're transformed by the word of God Very last clause there. Which is at work in you, believers. This is a present active verb that Paul uses. Is at work in you. Now it's been at least some months since Paul has been in Thessalonica. He sent Timothy who returned with a message and now he's writing this first letter, sending it by courier back to them. But here's what he can be Thankful to the Lord for, because remember, this is still a second Thanksgiving. He can still be thankful to the Lord for and hold in confidence that the Word of God is still at work in them. The Word of God is working, that the Word of God is active. That it is not only something that we believed at one point unto salvation, but it is something that we are daily submitting ourselves to so that we can put off sin and put on Christ. The word of God doesn't only give us information about how to be justified, how to be right with God. It gives us information about how to be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And it is presently working in us. In Romans chapter 12, we have this instruction. Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says it is the word of God that transforms our mind. That There is no other source. Go back to that our core belief, our first core belief about the Bible. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, right, it is, ho- it is completely true and wholly authoritative. It is the only thing that radically transforms us into the image of Jesus. There is no other source that we can go to that will do that. That's not to say there aren't other sources we can learn from, but none have the power of God's Word. None can do what God's Word can do for us. It is the Word of God that regularly renews our mind. This is why the Word of God is not only central to our gospel proclamation to a lost world, but it is why the Word of God is central to our discipling of one another. Because if we really care about making disciples of one another, then we are going to speak the Word of God to one another. Because it is the Word of God that transforms our minds it is the word of God that helps us discern what the will of God is. It is the word of God that helps us know what is good and acceptable and perfect. I can't tell you. I've lost count of the number of times people have come and said, well, I just really don't know what God's will is. Do you not have a Bible? Can I give you one? <laughs> because it's not this mystic thing that we have to find out in the ether somewhere. It is a real tangible word to us. We can go to it and know and be transformed by it. And by reading it, we can see what God has said is good and what God has said is acceptable and and perfect. And we can become like Jesus through it. And there is nothing that the Bible can't do in our lives. This is why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter four said, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joint and of marrow and discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart and so i have a problem that the word of god can't fix let me tell you something yes the word can the holy spirit can use the truth that god has recorded for us in his word to allow you to put off sin and to put on Jesus, however un- unovercomerable your trials and tribulations and struggles may feel in this moment, understand the word of God is sharp and is alive. It can speak into it. Now, that's not to say that the word addresses every little thing in life. I'm gonna venture into a modern illustration and I hope I don't cause myself heartache later. I've been asked on numerous occasions if the word of God addresses whether one should take the coronavirus vaccine. And, and I think this is a serious question for some people. Like they want to do what the word of God has said. No, I, I don't know that I've ever said this publicly. If you've asked me, I've said it. I don't mind saying this. Myself and my entire family have been vaccinated. I, I see because I found nothing in the word of God that would tell me not to do that. So we made that personal decision for us. Now, here's what you need to understand. You're not going to be able to turn to the back of the Bible where there's that concordance, you know, that's so handy, but oftentimes gets us into a lot of trouble and and turn there. You're not going to be able to turn there and find the word vaccine because it's not there, right? So what do we do in moments like that? What do we do when there's modern issues that, that we need the word to speak to us on, but that you know, the Word's not going to be there. The idea wasn't even around. Well, we have, to, we have to come to the Word and find principles and guidance for Christian life. And this is why it's important for you to regularly submit yourself to the preaching and teaching and discussion of God's Word. Because the more we do that, the more ready we're going to be when these situations in life arise and are ready to do it. Now, maybe you've come to a different conclusion, and this is not a sermon about that. We're not ever going to preach a sermon about that. But I use that as an example of, of the, the, the metric that we went through as a family, right? We talk about it, and we say, okay, well, here's what God's Word has said, and here's how we're going to walk in that, and then we come to our decision. So the Bible may not address every specific thing, But the Bible gives us guidance for everything that is life and godliness, and we need to regularly be transformed by it because it is present, active, working in our lives, Christians. So what? Have I believed the word of God, and is it working in me and through me? I don't don't ask, do you think the Bible holds a special place in your heart? Do you think it's full of good ideas? I'm not asking, you know, do you revere the Bible I'm asking what the text is saying. Have I believed it? And believed not just parts of it, believed all of it. Have I believed that this is the word of God? Not the inventions of men, not myths, not good ideas, but the word of God. And if so, is it working in me and through me? So I believe it, I'm changed by it, present, active, regularly changed by it, and I proclaim it making disciples of people. You know, some would accuse the sermon today, I may hear this later today and it'd be fine, that, that really to preach about the Bible from the Bible is circular logic, right? That I'm going to the very thing for authority about that thing, right? Well, the reason that we can do this is because God's word from the beginning of it has claimed this to be true. So we could go to the Old Testament, which we already saw Paul quoting an, a, an Old Testament prophet. Let's go to an Old Testament psalm. Listen to Psalm 19. Now, Psalm 19 would have been written somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000 years before Jesus. So maybe 3,000 years ago, this poem was written. And the middle section of it is entirely dedicated to the word of God. Listen to the six different synonyms that are included in verses seven, eight, and nine. The law of the Lord, that's one. Is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Did you notice in those three verses, not only are there six synonyms for Scripture, the Word of God, but each is paired with a unique adjective, Right? Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true. And then active verbs, reviving, making wise, rejoicing, enlightening, enduring. That that the word of God, not just in the eyes of The apostles after Jesus, but the word of God and the prophets and priests and kings and scribes who recorded the Old Testament for us saw it just as we are seeing it today. As an active word of God that is able to do what it says it does. This is why the author of this psalm can return over and over to this very same idea that it is perfect reviving the soul, that it is sure making wise the simple, that it is right rejoicing the heart, that it is pure enlightening the eyes, that it is clean enduring forever, and that it is true and righteous altogether. Then he gives us some application just like we're seeing here in the sermon. The psalmist moves in verses 10 and 11 to this, more to be desired are they than gold and even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and dripping off the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, as your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. So the psalmist says you're supposed to value it, and then you're supposed to see the results of it. Notice the value. It is more desirable than gold, even much fine gold. You know, if I had walked up here this morning with some gold, like actual physical gold, Some of you may have paid a little bit of attention. We didn't quite have it in the church budget, you know, for gold bars. It would have been a fun illustration, wouldn't it? But if I said, just imagine for a minute, if I would have sat up here for gold, you'd have listened if I had told you, I'm gonna give you some gold today. Some of you may have stormed the platform to get your gold. Here's what the Psalmist says, gold, gold. We come in here every week We go into our small groups, we go into our own personal Bible study. Do we really approach it as gold? Can I just confess to you, there are times that I go through those motions and don't necessarily think about it like it's gold, but that's what it is. More precious, more desires for us than even fine gold, purified gold, that this is the word of God, and it is better than anything this world has to offer, and there is great reward when we listen to it. There's a great reward when we submit ourselves to the changing power of God's word. So I'll ask you again, do you believe that this is God's word? Do you believe this is gold? And is it working in you and through you? Because there is great reward for you, for the people around you, when you allow God's word to have that effect in your life. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you spoke to us through your word. And we don't have to wonder what you want us to do. We don't have to guess how it is that you would have us to live. That we can know because you have told us. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. And we are regularly, day by day, transformed By those spirits working through your word in our lives, help us to value that more precious than even fine gold and honey dripping off the comb. That there is nothing in this world that can compare. God, would it not only be working in us, but would it be working through us? Would our family and our neighbors and the nations know that your word provides for them? truth about their creator and their savior Jesus through the work of this church because your word is regularly proclaimed by us we pray in Jesus name amen